today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Our customers' customers, in this case, the bank's customers, are really saying, hey, I need an, you know, an awful lot slicker integration into what I have to do for my customers. And depending upon where you sit in that value chain, whether you're in the very large tiers, the tier zero, tier one uh, type banks, or you're in the tier three, tier four type banks, you would treat those changes as very different opportunities. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. Banks are hearing from their customers that they want better experiences. Better experiences banking, borrowing, and in payments. Joining me today on the podcast is Finastra's Global Head of Payments, Paul Tomala. The banking software provider recently launched a new product that makes it easier and quick for mid- and small-tier banks in Europe to participate in real-time payments. Paul describes how smaller banks can maintain a competitive edge when it comes to payments. Paul Tomala is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. My name is Paul Tomala. I'm the, I'm the Global Head of Payments here at Finastra. I uh, also sit on the UK uh, Regulatory Advisory Board, the PSR, um, heavily involved in the industry devising um, NPA and PSD2. And um, I s- sit here trying to um, understand what the payment industry does and how Finastra can reflect that and work with our clients to add value to their clients. Got it. And great to have you on, on the podcast, Paul. Um, maybe we could start with that first thing that you mentioned that you do, figuring out what's happening in payments. Can, can, I know this is a very broad question, but from where you sit in your perch, um, what do you see as sort of the, the major sort of trends that are swirling around the industry right now? Well, you know, look, it's the most exciting time to be in payments, mm-hmm. um, um, both, you know, perhaps in a negative way and frankly, in extraordinarily positive way. The, the, the industry is at a strange pivot point, which for all the, you know, many thousands of years when people have been doing payments, either through bartering or through using coins or checks, it's been a complete analog process. And now we're getting to a digital um, process. And that has several ramifications and uh, underpinning that there is major regulatory changes depending upon where you are in the world that is forcing change or implying the force of um, change because Mm -hmm. of capitalistic reasons. But the underpinning of the whole thing is the fact that, um, you know, we've had checks for 370 years. We still support them. Mm -hmm. But in fact, when we move to real-time payments, which is pretty much the trend across the world, that also brings in a move to the digital world. And with ISO 20022, pretty much everyone is using that as its messaging format now, or certainly the go-forward messaging format, that actually what's happening is a mixture of digital messaging and APIs, hence the digital um, change that's happening. But The real truth of it is we have a lot of silos. There's a lot of value to be done. And our customers' customers, in this case, the bank's customers, are really saying, hey, I need an an awful lot slicker integration into what I have to do for my customers. And depending upon where you sit in that value chain, whether you're in the very large tiers, the tier zero, tier one uh, type banks, or you're in the tier three, tier four, type banks, you would treat those changes as very different um, 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 opportunities. So depending upon the size 
you would treat the opportunities that is being forced upon the industry either because of regulation or because of demand very very differently and that's what we're super super focused in on trying to deliver so that's interesting. Um, I like that framework of looking at the different tiers. So, so Finastra's audience is, is which of those tiers? So Finastra has spent um, nearly all of its time really focusing in on the, the very large um, banks. And um, as I'm sure you are, are, are aware, Zach, we, we work with um, HSBC and um, Barclays and you know that type of you know scale of bank you you, you do pretty complicated um, payment hubs and we have you know vast experience of working with those guys who are international probably working in 30 40 different countries uh, trying to pull all of those different currencies together so that their payment hubs can be really really very slick. The question then is when you look at the scale of those banks, that's probably 1% of the banking industry as a bank. Whereas you look at the tier three, four, five, and even below, you get into the 99% of the banks. And that 99% of the bank think banks think of things very, very differently. And what we've done is to try and take all our international experience um, and really take it into a, into a system where we can um, allow it to be um, implemented and managed in a very easy way. So we've been working with our analysts with these large institutions for you know, 20 years. And what we're taking is all of that experience and saying, hey, a payment flow is a payment flow. And we're gonna standardize that payment flow and we're gonna do it in a, in a very digital way get you up and running in three, four months, have it run as a service, but you'll be a compliant digital player looking after the standardized flow. And the argument basically goes along the lines, rather than spend all our time just working with the large banks, we should take our own medicines and build all that work for the smaller institutions um, who are still doing, you know, substantial flows and say, right, here's a standardized way of doing it. Here's a way to get out of all that legacy, get it up and running very, very quickly and effectively pay as you go. Because the different types of banks have different types of needs. But interestingly, the smaller banks could actually challenge the larger banks when they go to the digital change, which I suspect they'll be able to do a lot more quickly. Does that make sense, Zach? Yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit, about the legacy as it impacts some of the smaller banks. Because as you were saying that, I'm thinking like, well, obviously everybody deals with sort of the, the legacy debt, um, but but bigger banks can keep adding to it, right? They have more deeper resources to do it, while smaller banks may be more captive to it. So can, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. If you're, um, if you're a, a large bank who has through 80s, 90s, noughties, um, M&A activity, you probably have substantial um, um, payment systems, homegrown systems, some, some, some actually commercial, but they all do slightly different things and all do it in a slightly different way. Trying to manage that to a, to a payment hub is what we've been trying to do with our major banks over the last you know, 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. That's complicated because 
you, you know, there are, you know, one, two, three, four different flows in a country. Um, how many countries am I in? How many systems have I got to manage that? How many duplicate systems have I got? That's a complicated story. And we are extraordinarily good at managing through that. On the other hand, if I'm a tier two, three, four bank, then I have a regulatory issue in Europe, maybe not quite the same in the US, but I have a different set of issues, which is effectively, how do I keep all these things evergreen? How do I keep them actually compliant? Um, how, how do I look like a digital bank to, to my customers? And I think the issue that we have in the smaller institutions um, is that they still do a significantly large amount of transactions. Their flows tend to be pretty large, but the same team that's looking at a compliance statement, mm -hmm. that is looking at the latest uh, modifications, that is looking after the clients, tend to be the same people. And the question then becomes, what's more important? Is it more important about keeping this plate spinning based upon the fact that by and large, these will be homegrown systems that have been around for 20, 30 plus years, and the people who maintain them probably aren't, aren't there anymore, unfortunately. Or do I say, ah, I'm going to make the digital leap. I'm going to make that change. I'm going to get myself into the digital world. And by the way, all those transactions, I want them managed as a service. And I want my team to focus in on my customers. And every time there is a compliance change, whether it's in Europe or it's in the US, I get that straight out of the box. I want to be focusing on my client. And that is what the differentiator will be for those medium-sized banks. Differentiating, looking after the client really, really well, rather than keep their payment systems updated and managed. We see that as our job. Interesting. And so, so just along this theme of competitiveness uh, at the smaller, smaller institutions versus the larger money center banks, um, do you, do you mean like on a bank to bank basis, bank versus bank, a smaller bank could be competitive against a larger one? Or do you mean more on the macro level, like because of that service orientation, these, this whole kind of group of smaller banks um, can take share away from the bigger banks or does it, or am I splitting hairs? <laughs> no, I think you're actually getting to the crux of some of the issues here. If you are a very large bank, then you have all the skills and ability to do, you know, 20, 30 different currencies, how many countries you operate in. Um, that's, that's great. Then, you know, there is a, there is a huge need for, from international corporations to be able to do that. If I'm a tier two, three, four bank, then chances are I'm mostly a domestic bank, looking after my local clients, giving them what they, what they want. And my differentiation there will be all the benefits that I can get from the digital world, all the integration work that I can do, all the localized focus that I can do. And really, if I can move my platform to a digital platform, get it up and running in, as I say, three, four months, then actually I will be able to focus in on what the true differentiator will be is giving value to my client. I mean, that's why we brought out payments to go as a tool set. That's one digital looks after the modern silos, keeps them updated, can be delivered very, very quickly and to pay as you go. 
So let's drill down into payments to go. Um, where the idea came from that sort of the genesis, like what, what you saw brewing um, and, and how the product developed along those lines. <coughs> well, I think once you start doing the maths and you start looking at um, the numbers, then what you see is, um, you know, tier zero, tier one, tier two banks, they, you know, around the world, it's about 1%. Now they do the bulk of the transactions. Let's not beat around the bush. They do the real complica complicated, hardcore um, uh, payments, many countries, many currencies, et cetera. Um, but when you look at a payment system, at some point, you know, it's moving, you know, value from A to B in exchange of a good or, or a service and the data that it spins off. Um, but, and if you look at then the other, the other scale of the bank, the sheer volume of banks, they tend to be smaller. The curve comes, comes down, you know, you know, very, very quickly, but the bulk of them all have the same problem. They all have the problem that the effectively analog systems makes it very different, difficult for them to integrate into their clients, um, makes it very difficult for them to truly add value other than, yeah, I'll do your payment for me, send me the file, I'll process it, get it done. Well, actually, a lot of the clients now want integration into SAP, into the supply chain, into adding value of banking rather than adding value per se of payments. So when you look at that and you say, well, why can't I go after this market? And the, the reason is, is because um, sometimes we just make things very, very complicated. You know, what would you like? Well, I'd like this one. I'd like that. I'd like this. And, you know, it's, well, actually, a payment flow at a mid-tier bank is probably the same payment flow, whether it's in France or it's in the US or it's in the UK. So the payment flow is a standardized process. The value becomes on what you do with the payment, the added value you give to your, you give to your client and the integration that you can get with your client and probably the banking services, A, because of the data and the insight and the relationship, then you can work with your client. That's where the value is. And I think that's the pivot point that a lot of smaller banks, smaller sounds a bit rude, but medium-sized banks will actually be saying, hey, I can be a lot more agile locally. And I think that's what we spotted. And we said, well, what could we do to make that happen? Well. Keep it evergreen, keep it fixed price, keep it standard, straight out of the box, get it up and running really very quickly, wrap it around with all the APIs and the ISO messaging you want. Yeah, that's what we focused on when we when, when we started to deliver payments to go. And now it's out in the market. And um, I can ha I have to say it's, you know, it resonates extraordinarily well with tier two, three, four banks. So, so it's been in the market for what, about two months openly? Yeah, yeah, about that. It's um, maybe three months technically, but uh, it's uh, yeah, not for very long now. But, you know, it, it really resonates when you, when you, you know, you, you, you talk to a bank like, you know, how am I going to get to, you know, MT to MX Swift? How am I going to do that? Ah, it's a big project. How am I going to get to ISO? Tell you what, here's one straight out of the box. Get it up and running four months. 
you've made all the changes and you're compliant. Let's move on to the value. And I, I know you can't name names of, of, of clients, but can you talk to, I guess, what you're seeing in the early take up of the, of the product, of the to-go product? What we're seeing is um, if you, you know, a lot of uh, what we see is, you know, how do I get out of the situation that I'm effectively making do and mend and get to the digital world and add value from banking, not necessarily payments, but I need to do my payments. So what you, what we're seeing is um, a lot of the, you know, regional um, institutions who want to do a bit of cross-border, but mostly it's regional, just want to get up and running and add value. They don't want to be involved in making do and mend and making sure all the regulatory pieces come. You know, and as I said before, it's like the, the EU is very different to the US. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot more timescale changes. But even in the US, there's so much change going on. How do I add value? Well, I add value by listening, working with my client, going back to core banking principles. Hey, can you just make the payment thing work for me? Yes, I can. So, Paul, as you're saying that, and I, I, I like the way um, you describe sort of the 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 value orientation of some of the some of the mid tier banks, um, and and that's sort of the crux of their competitiveness. But as you're saying that, it also makes me think: Wow, banks are really susceptible to software non financial providers coming into the market that really do provide that value um, that can then layer on. Um, you know, banking services either through a banking partner or some type of banking as a service relationship. Do you see that kind of happening already? Is that is are we just in the early days of that? Do, do you sense that? I, I sense it a little bit. You know, in Europe, we we have the interjection of different actors, um, but all over the world, we see NBFIs who are trying to enter the market. But the issue is, for me anyway, and the and and the conversations that I've had is that. The difference is I want to add, oh, my customer really wants banking services. It, it doesn't just want a payment. It wants to know how, if, if, how I can integrate into their ERP systems, how I can integrate into their you know, supply chain systems. And if I can do that, can I start to take away the you know, um, horrendous costs of um, accounts payable and receivable? Can I make my ERP button when I say pay? It does actually pay. Well, yes, you can. Now, if I can do that, can I get insight into, in, into your actual supply chain? Can I therefore add bridging loans, trade mm -hmm. loans? Can I you know, offer different sets of banking services rather than just a payment service? And I think that's really the exciting thing that's coming along. Um, and it's going back to basics in many ways. I'm a bank. I offer banking services. But for a long time, I've made money out of payments. Now we'll be making money because of payments from the banking side, but only if it's digital and agile. That's what we really focused our time and energy on. Awesome. And, and, and where are you taking in the remaining? I know we, we have time for one more question, but... Um... Where are you taking to the to-go um, product going forward? So it just launched, but I'm kind of curious if there's new functionality you're layering in or now is now is just a matter of like getting your clients up and running on it. Like what's your focus at Finastra? Our focus is, you know, it may seem crazy, um, but the conversations that we're having is, can we get to a point 
you know, sometime in the future. It's absolutely not now. But can we get to a point where you can do this in a week, two weeks, and you're up and running? Wow. Now, you know, I, that, so this isn't now. But the point is, if I have that many APIs and I have that standardized flow, then actually the payments piece should be relatively simple to do. And we're not there yet, but that's the way we're thinking because we genuinely believe that the time to value comes from the relationship between the bank and its clients and shouldn't be dependent on how long it takes your payment systems to, be, to, to get up and running. That's the, that's the type of thinking we see. And we believe that both partners and design thinking workshops with banks and banks customers will help us to really sharpen that ability to get the time to value to be really, really quick. That's what we see. And, and what would it take, I guess, to as a corollary to get to that point? You mentioned sort of design thinking work with, with your clients. How, how do you go from a couple months to a couple weeks? Well, you know, we've come from a couple of years. To right. So, and, and I mean, the team that's working on it is saying, well, you know, can I get you, can I, could I get the bank to tell me what it is it needs? Well, yeah. I and, mean, you know, it's probably got a serious standardized flows. Okay. Can I make this um, completely cloud native hosted on, you know, cloud? Yeah. Well, okay. So, you know, currently it is um, on the cloud. If I can get to all the technology pieces where it's based, you know, purely on microservices, which we think that we'll do very, very shortly, then actually the ability to onboard a client is the key. Now, two steps here. One is onboarding the bank. The next is the bank onboarding its client. If mm -hmm. I can get that into a relatively standardized process, then the integration work really comes to the bank and that will always be there. But having the integration layer of our APIs and ISO 2082 message formats, that's going to be the real trick of how fast we can get this onboarded. Here's, here's, here's a standardized flow. Here's what we think that you need. Please modify that online. If that's then acceptable, that effectively becomes the business analysis stage. We'll respond and hopefully deliver um, against that in the near future. But that's our design principles is to get that to be really, really very quick. Hmm. And I lied about it being last question. This is really the last question. Um, in the same way that you've, you've integrated ISO principles and messaging formats, like is there a reality at least that you see in the foreseeable future that you might be doing the same thing with blockchain technologies? In terms of integrating into blockchain technologies, yes, absolutely. In terms of replacing the core processing microservices, the blockchain, no, I don't. I think that there's too many things that need to go on there and blockchain doesn't add enough value in that processing. It does around it, but you know, it's a transaction processing engine at the heart of it. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective. Paul, thank you very much for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Pleasure, thank you, Zach. All the best.